Welcome to the Everyday PM podcast, the podcast where we discuss project management principles for your everyday life. My name is Ann Campia, and I am the host and founder of the Everyday PM. I'm certified as a PM, and I am just a project management enthusiast myself, having several years working in very different industries as a project manager. I am so excited to welcome our very special guests. Yes, we have two. We have Rich and Jim who are joining us. They are here to speak a lot about their professional journey, but then we're also going to dive into a quick spoiler alert. You could probably see it in Rich's background there. Great meetings, build great teams, which is the book that they have published. And I'm so excited to share kind of the details and the contents of that with our audience as well, because I think you're all very much going to enjoy it. So I will encourage you to pick up the book. I will say it again at the end of this podcast. But that being said, let's go ahead and give Rich and Jim the platform. So Rich, starting with you, please take a brief moment to introduce yourself to our audience. Sure, Rich Maltzman, um, co-author with Jim Stewart of this this wonderful book, but um, also a 40-year practitioner in uh, project management, accidentally became a project manager after uh, starting as an engineer, and now a master lecturer at Boston University teaching a suite of um, PM courses. Jim. Uh, I spent, started my career as an IT network engineer, and again, like Rich, became the accidental project manager. They needed somebody to create a Gantt chart, and I said, okay, I'll give that a shot X number of years ago. And for the past 20 years, I've been independent as of this year, 20 years independent, uh, working from home. And I do a variety of things, uh, running projects, consulting on projects. The most recent one of which was an agile transformation project for a pharmaceutical. I became an agilist about 10 years ago. So I do both of those things. And uh, we'll talk about how we got to writing the book. But uh, I write, I speak and do all those fun things. That's amazing. I think collectively we have so far one thing in common. Well, maybe two. Okay. Uh, we both have a passion for project management, it sounds like. we And we all fell into it. We were all accidental. Yeah. And I do think yeah. at some point in the span of project management, however old it is at this point, it's, it's quite uh, generation spanning. I think that at some point, I'm probably going to start to welcome guests onto here that will say, oh, I wasn't accidental. I had this planned. I went to right. school for this. Right. I didn't have experience. And it's just quite amazing to hear that. But I love that you kind of shared a little glimpse of your professional journey with our audience. But why don't we dig in a little bit deeper? So Jim, starting with you, you said you became an agilist not too long ago. So what kind of led you to that to that per perspective? Honestly, as a an independent project manager, I have to stay current with the market. And I teach a lot of, oh, but by the way, Rich and I teach, he's, he is a teacher professionally full-time. I teach PMP fair fair amount of, uh, of time, not as much as I usually because I prefer consulting. So some years ago, Agile was sort of happening, starting to happen. I had to start telling my students about it, the little bit that I knew, but I realized I was being disingenuous. I didn't really know it well. So I went and got my scrum master. This is 2013. I said, oh, I like this. I like this. And so then, to be honest with you, recruiters would call me and they, eight out of 10 times they're requesting Agile and they'd hang up me if I didn't have it. So I said, I better get this. So, um, and I liked it anyway. So I got various uh, certifications and uh, fell into it and, and enjoy it. And I go back and forth. I mean, my last one was a uh, I'm, an, I'm a certified agile coach. My last one was a transformation. My next gig could be using a Gantt chart in traditional. I have no, Rich and I have discussed this many times. 
we are agnostic about the tool that we use. We're not hung up on Agile. We're not hung up on Waterfall. We do whatever the project calls for. So that's honestly how I fell into it. It was a matter of, if not survival, of just increasing my chances of staying conversant as a consultant. And, and I did like it. So that's what brought me to this. That's that's amazing. It completely makes sense. I mean, you're, you've been relevant and have stayed relevant and innovative at the same time. And I think that's something that we often forget as project managers is that you don't just take the exam and then you're done. Right. You should be learning all the time <laughs> and trying well, to figure out how it's evolving as well, the industry itself. Not only that, I've seen too many. We live in the Massachusetts area. We're both rich and I saw the demise of the mini computer industry because they all said, well, no one will ever want a computer at home. Mm. Famously, mm -hmm. Ken Olson Digital said no one will, and they're all gone. So change your, or die. So you need to change and evolve with the times. If some other thing comes along and it's viable, I'll go for that as well. And I think Rich feels the same way. Yeah. Well, I've had to drag him somewhat into Agile a little bit. He still gets a little bit confused, but I do my best. <laughs> so, Rich, over to you. I mean, uh, what led you to where you're at today, master lecturer and, and, and all the great things that you're doing? Yeah, I think any good project manager is uh, in some ways a teacher. Sure. is in some ways a consultant. Right. And uh, so even in my engineering days, I found myself for the first 10 years of my career before I got the tap on the shoulder saying, hey, we need a project manager over here. Um, I found that what I was doing often was solving problems through education. I remember um, having problems with uh, systems test engineering, and um, we could have solved this with 100 new systems. But I found it was just a matter of the testers and installers not understanding what they were testing and installing. So we actually got rid of the so-called dog pile of, of defective components um, by instituting a training program. And I found that that teaching and learning was actually something, as Jim just said, it's lifelong um, and it's very valuable. It actually can save a lot of money, time and pain um, if it's if it's done well. So I, I found that I was... Um, uh, we use the term pracademic, uh, mm -hmm. that I liked the idea of, of academics, but not for the pure, you know, you know, 45 page paper aspect of it, but more for the, there's really a kernel of knowledge here that people can use. Same with Agile. I mean, like Jim said, he kind of had to drag me in there, but there's a lot of really rich, um, important information and practices and mindset in Agile and that everyone could benefit from. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I like this idea of lifelong learning and um, I've been actually teaching in one way or another, not just as I mentioned in the job, but uh, at community colleges since the eighties, even teaching, as Jim mentioned, mini computers, even teaching um, this is definitely a frustrating job teaching seniors how to use a, a computer. Um, mm -hmm. Now mm -hmm. I is a senior <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, I have to keep up with the technology with chat GPT and other generative uh, AI, oh, yeah. AI systems. And, and like Jim said, as new stuff comes up, I think both of us are just hungry to keep learning that. So mm -hmm. that's been my driver. And um, but but getting stuff done, just getting stuff done excites me. And um, I, I love to see, in my case, it was telecom. I love to see a telecom network go up and have fiber optic connections between Los Angeles and New York, or the better city, Boston, um, in some way. I'd like to see that. <laughs> I'd like to see that. I'd like to see New York sales, Rich. We just lost our New York audience. <laughs> Sorry, go Yankees. 
anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, I love to see that come together. I mean, mm-hmm. we used to joke around in our department. Lo- I, we love it when a plan comes together, and 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 that idea of starting with literally vapor, mm-hmm. an idea, and then turning that into reality. That's what project managers do, and that's why when I made the shift to project management, I just stayed with it and then yeah. did it, and now teach it and do it. And um, I, I really enjoy it. I love that. And, you know, our audience is not just comprised of project managers. And a lot mm-hmm. of what you both shared in your professional journey is very much applicable to people outside of our industry as well, in terms of just wanting to be in a job that where you can see the fruits of your labor. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that kind of it's and sometimes it's really not immediate for PM. Sometimes you're on a job for 10 years. Who knows what you're working on? But uh, just the sheer fact that you know that you created something from nothing. I, I love that, Rich. I love that you shared that about your journey. So mm-hmm. I, and I, I also am a part-time educator. I think all three of us, again, collectively check another thing on, on the list about learning and also wanting to give back to the industry. So I want to get to the aha moment of when you both decided, hey, we should write a book. Uh, where did that come from? Was it several conversations? Did Jim just wake up one day and call you Rich and say, I got an idea or how did that come together? (laughs) It almost was like that. Isn't that funny? (laughs) Rich had written several books. We've been friends for over 20 years. And I thought, I guess Rich doesn't like me. He never approaches me to write a book. (laughs) So (laughs) I kept thinking, because I I really wanted a co-author. And so uh, but I didn't know what to write about. So, and I've told the story before, we have Rich and I and another gentleman uh, all did some consulting work for a woman who runs a life sciences consulting company. And I used to go out and do big meetings with her at pharmaceuticals, uh, which is where I got into pharmas, by the way, through her and thanks to her. And I would help uh, do two big two and three day planning meetings, mostly two a day, um, and facilitate those. And I learned a lot doing that. So one day I'm at lunch with this friend of mine, he says, you know what I would read about? Those big meetings you do with that woman. I would mm. I would read about that. And I said, oh, really? So using my marketing survey of one person, I then went to Rich and said, uh, I remember this discussion too, because I had a sort of, I wasn't explaining it well to get through. Rich. No, Rich, it's about meetings and the big things. Oh, I get it. We've both done our own meetings and stuff. And this is actually the second book, by the way. Uh, we, we did one four, year, four or five years ago. Everything is either post or pre-pandemic, but pre-pandemic, and it was more about those big two-day meetings. Mm-hmm. Found a publisher, Rich found a publisher. So the heart of it was those two big, two big two-day meetings. But then that publisher went out of business. So let's redo it, find a new publisher. And this one focuses somewhat more on agile, but somewhat more on team building and uh, a variety of conflict management and, and what we talk about bullies. We talked about that last time too. So less on the two-day thing. And one more thing is the, the good combination Rich and I have is. He'll sometimes get too academic. As a rich, you're getting too academic. He says, yeah, but Jim, you have to have some academia. He'll pull me that way. So you have a good combination of the science of meetings and the academic stuff with the footnotes and whatnot and the down and dirty on the ground type of stuff that we put together. So that's how the book came to be. And uh, and and so this one's been out since late June, at book two. So we're, we're thrilled about that. That's incredible. Rich, did you, were you surprised? Did you want to say no to Jim, but then you felt bad about saying no, no to Jim no, about I writing a book. Was, I, did not, I did not want to say no to Jim. I think I said yes pretty quickly and we got to work on it pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and as Jim said, there's a lot, 
Well, you can probably get a little bit of the the, the humor and the banter that we have. Um, that comes across in the book. And it's not just us. That's important to know. Um, we have a lot of war stories from people around the world, from men and women around the world um, that uh, we, we call them war stories. Meetings that have gone really well, have gone off the rails in weird ways. Um, and the book is peppered with those. Um, and the, that was one of the things people seemed to like in the first book. So we went out and got more. We're both pretty active networkers on LinkedIn and elsewhere, PMI conferences and so forth. And we've, we've um, gathered hunted and gathered these some of these stories to, <laughs> to make the, the book a little more interesting. I, I personally love the structure of it. So so let's start with great meetings, build great teams. Mm-hmm. Amazing title. Perfect. It's one of those things that would catch me if I was looking at a laundry list of project management related books and mm-hmm. looking on the shelf mm-hmm. that I would definitely pull that off the shelf. Number one, because we all have to be in meetings. A huge part of what we do as project managers is either we are the ones orchestrating the meeting or we are participating in it. So we've seen kind of both roles and everybody wants to understand how do you make for a successful meeting with your project team? So the first thing you both claim is that you will let us know through the book, what is the secret behind happier, more successful project teams? And it sounds like it starts there, but I'll have you both react to that comment. I yeah. guess if I can go on with that one, I, I was a little dubious about the about the title at first, only because it isn't just we're not naive to think it's just great meetings to build great teams. We say that in the book that, that there's more to it than that. Um, but we we felt that this is a nuts and bolts book. Uh, this is a book that, interestingly, I don't know if you know this, Rich. I looked at the top twenty books on meetings on Amazon. Almost none of them deal with how to run a meeting. TEDx and thoughts about, but none are nuts and bolts books. This is a nuts and bolts book about how to run a meeting, the challenges you have to overcome, the type of person you need to be to do that. So we feel like it's the converse. We're trying to fix a problem, which is there are too many bad meetings. One of the mantras in Agile is that it doesn't have to be the scrum master that runs a meeting. Anybody can run a meeting. No, if you want chaos, anybody can run a meeting. Not everybody can run a meeting. Not because you have to be a genius, but you have to learn how to be good at it. So uh, people aren't necessarily... I'll tell you a little secret. I I haven't told you this yet, Rich. I go to Weight Watchers. I'm not ashamed to say that. I go to Weight Watchers every week. I went last week, and I've been seeing the same woman, for the leader there, for years. I said, I wrote this book. She said, bring it in. We'll do a show and tell. There were about 40 people there and they passed around. It never got back to me. I mean, I got it back, but they were so busy reading it and looking at it that I never, it took forever to get it back to me. And one woman came up running to me. Yeah, I have these board meetings with my condo unit. Another woman said, I'm an IT project manager. I realized in a room of not just a bunch of guys and gals losing weight, but people actually run meetings and don't know how to look. Look at this. Look at this. Wow, I guess. In fact, I'm going to raffle one of them off there, Rich, next week. So they may be losing weight and gaining knowledge. Right, right. Well, I'm at least gaining knowledge. Uh, so anyway, I, I'm sorry I don't to ramble on, but I think no. we believe that great meetings build great teams. That's part of it. If we could have a longer title, it would say something like, what are the great things about meetings? They help build great teams and blah, blah, blah. But we had to yeah. you know, make yeah. it a shorter thing. So that's my that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Jim. Uh, there's a lot more to um, to this. That's why this book is focused and it's nuts and bolts on meetings. I mean, when you think about uh, what, what makes a great, project 
what makes a successful project. We could have an, another argument about what success means in project management. Right. Um, but um, what makes a great project is a great team. But what makes the great team isn't only the meetings. It's mm-hmm. But it's part right. of it. I mean, you have to have the right team. You have to have the right people. It has to be chartered and it has to have a purpose that people buy into. The people have to, um, the right people have to be in and active in in that team. A lot of that takes place through meetings. And, and so that's that's kind of the common thread is that if if you, first of all, recognize that you're going to be in a lot of meetings. I mean, right. this is a meeting. A classroom meeting is a meeting, right? Mm-hmm. When you sit for dinner with your family, that's in some ways a meeting. So just like we make thousands of decisions every day, so it would make sense to learn more about good decision-making, we ins- we assert, I think correctly, that project managers had better learn how to be good meeting attendees and good meeting facilitators. And to Jim's point, if you're not the person to run the meeting, and some of these two or three-day meetings are good examples, you may want someone else to do it. Right. And even if you're running a meeting, one of the tips we give in the book is if you're running the meeting, you're probably not doing a good job of taking notes and vice right. versa. If you're spending all your time head down taking notes, you're not running the meeting. Yeah. So maybe it makes sense to have a deputy or a, an assistant who's chartered, especially on a virtual meeting like this, to watch the chat and see what's going on, kind of what's the undercurrent, the hubbub, <laughs> the buzz, um, find out what's happening there. Um, while you are watching people's body language, um, people who are like under the video folks can see who are like this or closed off or people who are clearly not paying attention, you know, they've got one or more devices ready and they're buying something on Amazon. So, <laughs> you know, you got to you got to be you, you as the project manager should own the meeting. This Jim made a really he he helped the book significantly making this point that sometimes you might not even be everyone's best friend mm, because right. you've, mm-hmm. you've, you've let the meeting go out of, get out of hand, trying to be friendly with everyone and letting everyone talk. And now you're in, you know, you're in a 45 minute or extra. More yeah. of a point free advice. You know, somebody doesn't buy the book <laughs> as one consultant I go to said, stop looking for unconditional love. So mm. don't go to a meeting wanting everybody to like you. This guy yeah. will like me if I let him go on for 10 minutes. This person will like me. You get to the end of the meeting, you've accomplished nothing. By the way, side point, the woman who runs the, the Weight Marches meeting, I said to her, you do everything in this book. She's also a teacher. She said, it's like dealing with a bunch of eight-year-olds or whatever she has. She did it to, <laughs> she did it to me once, Rich. I, I'll tend to jerk around in the session sometimes. So a couple of weeks ago, I was joking about something. She came over, stood next to me. And nice. put her hand on my shoulder. Right? She did that <laughs> what are our techniques? She she did that to me. You know, I said, you did you you did that to me. She said, yes, I probably did. So anyway, she's really good at that. And I think uh, I, I that's the one I wanted to jump in with the piece of advice I wanted to give. If you never buy the book, we like it if you do. But if you never do, stop worrying about being liked. That will kill you in being mm-hmm. a project manager mm-hmm. and doing anything. You're not there to be liked. We're not yeah. there to be disliked. But they have to respect what you do, and they will walk all over you if they see yeah. that you're weak at that or that you're trying to be liked, people will be looking at you like, when is GM going to stop this person from talking? I've had that happen where I've let people go a little bit too long in a class. Okay, I better get this back on track here. Mm -hmm. You might hurt that person's feelings, but as often as not, one more thing. I've lost track of the number of people who say to me, yeah, I do talk too much. And then they keep talking. They recognize (laughs) it, but they never do anything about it. (laughs) Yeah. So I've heard of those people too. And one, question one, was, parent, but, you know. <laughs> one kind of parent point to all of this, your behavior and success at the meeting 
right. is a microcosm, fancy word, a representation of how, how you're That's viewed as a project manager. Yeah. So, yeah. so one of the things people will walk away, not saying out loud, but thinking to themselves, maybe in harmony is if this person, male, female, can't run the meeting, how are they running this project? Mm-hmm. And I want to point out that Rich said a multi-syllabic word, which is microcosm. That's the kind of dopey dad humor you'll see. One guy wrote a review, a guy who interviewed us, he says, it's funny. And I thought, this is the dumbest dad humor. This is funny. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, we'll take it, right? So whatever works. Right. I think a, a few things to tease out of what you both said. I mean, the first thing that I didn't even consider is everyone's in meetings. And meetings, right. you know, the representation of meetings doesn't necessarily mean what you would probably picture in your head as people are gathered in a conference room anymore, right? This, to, right. to Rich's point, this is a meeting. And for us to spend so much time in meetings every day and not have any type of training on right. how to facilitate meetings well, correct? that's mind-boggling to me i don't know why that just was an aha moment for me as you were saying that area of communications people come into the workforce sometimes they come in that like they bring all the high school habits but people come into the workforce with really no idea this is a microcosm of the fact that to use richard's word that i think he might have made up is communications people don't know how to communicate well they don't know how to respond to email they don't respond to texts hey i thought we're in the middle of a text conversation you disappear for like an hour and a half so they don't communicate well and then within that nobody's really told them that running a meeting was something of course you know how to run a meeting anybody knows how to run a meeting it's a soft skill rich showed me something interesting it's not in our book but rich showed me something interesting about the effect of back-to-back meetings rich did you on the brain on the brain, yeah. What was that? I didn't get a chance to it just it, it's just it. the idea that we are going from meeting to meeting to meeting, and this the amount of stress in the brain as measured by science using MRIs and CAT scans. I can't remember which, but it was it was science. Um, if you look at the images of someone who's gone from a meeting to a meeting to a meeting to a meeting, the stress level is much higher than simply having a break. Mm-hmm. And although that isn't in the book, what is in the book is we talk about the need to have a break. I mean, I lecture, I never lecture for more than an hour mm-hmm. yeah. unless I'm on a podcast and then I, I go for five hours. I don't know what, what happens on podcasts, <laughs> but, but seriously, I, I, I go for an hour. I watch the clock. I tell my students, remind me we're stopping after an hour. We're taking 10 minutes for biological reasons and just to, just to let the brain cool off. So yeah. Yeah, that's that that um, that science is there. We mention it, but we don't go into that into this idea of back to back meetings. But I do. Uh, yeah, that's fascinating myself. I'm going to look that up after we we hang up today. But I think one of the things that I love just structurally about your book is the way that you have kind of laid everything out. You know, you go through kind of the key takeaways first, but then you get into kind of the nitty gritty around whatever, if you're telling a story around the the particular uh, topic or lesson that you're trying to uh, pass through to your audience, but anything where a book feels like it is teaching you, right? Uh, mm-hmm. In a way that you can practically apply to whatever it is you're doing, what type of meeting that you're running or uh, any organization or industry. I love when books do that. And yours does. And uh, yeah. and I love that, Jim, you did the research and you said there's no really not a book like this out there. And I know for project managers, we're 
hungry for that type of information, right? right? Because typically as a PM, you don't often have somebody who's going to mentor you on how to facilitate great meetings or build great teams. And that just kind of comes through time and experience. But just the way that you thought through how to lay out the information in a way that makes sense. I'm not surprised, Jim, that your class, your Weight Watchers class took it and they ran with it. They literally yeah, took the book literally. from you. To, yeah. To, yeah, they were, I just thought there's a breeze by, you know, yeah, I don't want to look at this, but yeah, it's it's interesting because part of the, what we're Rich and I are trying to do as part of the marketing effort, a, a little secret, publishers do a certain amount of marketing, but a lot of the onus is on the author. So be it. That was in the contract. We accept that. We're trying to get the book into Barnes Noble bookstores. And part of that was, and they were formed to fill out, which in fact, I just sent today as Rich knows. And it says, uh, you know, what's the comparison of the other, so we had done this homework of the other books. And I basically said, if we went up in your store, we may be the only one and one of the few there that actually tells people exactly how to run a meeting. So we felt it was important to position that that way. And I don't know, I, I think when we were writing it, I don't think we ever really thought I thought I was adding to the nth hundredth book about running meetings, right. running meetings. There just aren't, and, and they're certainly not in the top 20 at Amazon. Let's put it that way. So we felt the nuts and bolts were important. And even though it's the, uh, it's a foundational thing, it's not sexy. One woman came up to me and I think I was telling you, and she was just saying my condo meetings and she like, like trapped me for five minutes talking about her condo meeting. <laughs> and I said, great, great. This is terrific. And, and then some other one, I'm an AT project manager. So you never know what you're going to run into there. So Amazing. Um, yeah, I, I think it's important that if we can get the word, interestingly, I, you know, we, we get these sales figures. We're not off the charts, but somebody bought 70 copies in Asia of the Kindle book. I have no idea why. It must have been for like their entire company. That's great. It's, yeah. a, it's a Weight Watchers conference. Yeah, it must, it must be. I should be doing the Weight Watchers circuit, huh? Well, I mean, we need to dig in there a little bit because I think, I don't know if either of you teach international students, but just yeah. thinking about the way you've, right? So thinking about the layout of the book, how it's written, it's, it's, yeah. it's, I think it is something that is palatable globally, right? Like uh, people who do have that, language barrier or have Mm. uh, challenges in reading um, English, like some of my international students do, I give them a little bit more time to kind of consume the information. But I think in the way that you've put the information out there, I'm not surprised that it's selling globally. I'm I'm not at all surprised. Thought about that. Rich has a lot of international students, but one thing I I fight to do all the time is make sure there are no Americanisms in the book. Mm. Even when I was at work uh, recently, my, my contract ended about a month ago. I was running standard operating procedures or somebody else was running them too. And I'd say, take that out. It's an Americanism. We were working with a French audience, American audience. So we made sure there were no, it's easy to write them. It's easy to say them. And my, my you, you'll find this amusing, a little bit of a diversion. My team of coaches was made up of me, another American, American coach and a French coach, young woman. And we'd be in meetings together. I would be the scrum master. He would say, let's blow that off. So I typed to her and say, blow something off means this. He'd say, <laughs> let's run up the flagpole. Run up the flagpole means that she'd always thank me because I was exp- he shouldn't have been using it. But when he did, I explained the slang to him. So I, to her. So I tried to make sure that no American is, and in fact, I'm working on a, with a company that Rich knows. We're, we're on a board in an organization and they're working on a simulation. And every time I see an Americanism, I say, I recommend you take this out. They can do what they want, but I recommend that you not make it slang that they don't understand. But yeah. on the international student front, I've had my fair share. But Rich, that's your meat and potatoes, I think, like every day of the week. 
Yes, uh, actually, Anne, you've been in my class. I think we turned mm-hmm. the laptop around so you could see yeah. the, the diversity in the class. And um, that that's a big deal. Now, we do talk about virtual meetings in the book. And one of the things that mm-hmm. I've noticed, and you've probably noticed, especially as a podcaster, um, is that in international uh, that in a virtual meeting, international people are a little more active because they can use chat. Their accent isn't a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it, their pronunciation and, isn't a problem. So it's amazing how much more active my international students are on the online courses than they are. And again, courses are meetings. So it's appropriate mm-hmm. here. Um, so you should be aware that maybe you want to, um, if you're running a meeting and there are international participants online, um, you know, encourage them to use the chat as opposed to speaking right. up because they may be a, a little uncomfortable. Um, as Jim said, hearing American colloquialisms, but also, you know, using expressions uh, from their language um, where they, if they type it in, they have a chance to, by the way, hit backspace a couple of times and try again. Whereas when you speak the word, it's out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I I think that that's a great way to kind of portray knowing your audience, which I believe is one of the things that you you all cover in your book as well. But I want to, you know, before I let you both go, I want to go into a little bit of a sneak peek of a section that I really appreciate because I think, well, all of it really translates if you've ever been in a meeting or run a meeting yourself. But I do love the concept of Billy the Bully. <laughs> and and kind of the the story surrounding that person who you describe as the the person who derails everything, right? You come into this meeting, you've got an agenda, you put it all together, you have the purpose, you're ready, you've got your goal, you want to leave the meeting with X, Y, and Z, but then you have Billy the bully or somebody else in there that is there and derails the meeting. I think we've all been there, and I love the story around this concept. So. Can you talk a little bit about, I think you mentioned, Jim, that this was uh, mentioned in your previous book as well, but can you talk a little bit about that and then kind of some of the key takeaways that you have in the book around Billy? Let me, let me kick that off only because I have the image behind me to, yeah, to do please. this. So, and then I'll turn it right over to Jim. So you, you see here, uh, Christina Carlson, our artist that we hired um, to do this, came up with this idea of showing it this way. We've had the goblins meeting goblins for a while in our last book and we added several in this book but you see the shadows i don't know if you can see this there's mm-hmm. uh, those of you who are listening you should hear the shadows, <laughs> mm, <laughs> uh, shadows. Um, the idea is that people have people have alternate personalities sometimes when they enter a, a meeting they take on a different personality and if you don't believe me think about um, how people's personalities change when they drive right if you're driving and someone cuts you off you may use language and gestures that you generally would not use if you had bumped into someone walking on the street now, or just, just past someone on the street who might be walking too fast. You wouldn't say all those nasty things, right? Well, you see the shadows uh, behind me are representing that personality. We're not saying people are bad. We're not saying Billy the bully is always a bully, but Billy the bully's personality comes out in meetings. So Jim, so Billy the bully. So we have a, a variety of them, and not all. Just for clarification for the for the group, we have people who are interrupters, and people who talk too much, and people who bully, and people who sidetrack you. Billy the bully is a different animal. It doesn't necessarily mean he was around beating people up, although he can come across as aggressive, or he or she can come across as aggressive. Increasingly, it can be women too. So I mean, that happens in the business world, if not other worlds, and so. What is Billy the bully? The kind of person that might try to intimidate other people and whatnot. So the first thing I say is I'll remind again, 
you're large and in charge and you don't aren't trying to be liked. So I go in with that mentality. My goal isn't to be liked necessarily. If Billy is intimidating people or making them feel uncomfortable and threatened, and I was talking about what I might do, and I'd ask Rich to talk about it too, is try to address this. If not in a group situation, one of the things is you don't want to humiliate or embarrass somebody in front of everybody. So it may be a situation where you're running a meeting. First thing is, if you're running a meeting and you're only 10 minutes in and there's a major problem, don't be don't say, I better wait another hour. Stop the right. meeting. Right. We're going to take a, a break right now. Other people wonder, oh, Billy, can I talk to you a little bit? Other people are, privately, other people are feeling uncomfortable with your behavior. Uh, what's the issue here? Try to understand the person, where they're coming from. Sometimes it's just, like Rich said, it comes out in a meeting that, Generally speaking, once again, all these types will say, I know that I tend to X, Y, and Z. Now, I'm not talking about the senior guy or gal here, the person who, you know, that's tougher to go to somebody who's three levels above you and say, you may still want to say that, but you have to couch it differently. But the person who's maybe peer level and maybe even slightly above you, what's going on here? Can we address this behavior? You know, what's maybe they say they don't like some particular person. They don't want to be there. So address it, number one. Try to also listen to them. All of them involve listening to the person to hear what they say. Sometimes the negative person, the bully, the talker has something to say. What are you trying to say, Billy? Well, you know what? If we send the submersible down to the Titanic, it's not going to exist anymore. Oh, yeah. have you been trying to say that? In my own way, yes. So, and at the end of the day, don't be afraid to report any of these people to disappear. They really aren't going to like you. Rich and I have done it before. Uh, but if the person is consistently bullying, give them a chance. And if not, they probably know. I've seen it over and over again. You go to the boss and says, oh, that's Billy being Billy. I'll deal with it. It's a serious issue. So yeah. do not put up with it. It's very, very disruptive. Rich, anything to add there on that? Or yeah, so, so sometimes Billy just wants the stage. Right. Right. And he's going on and on. And it could be a combination of uh, some of the other person personalities. These personalities, of course, that we made up, but real people are a melange. There we go again, Jim, of mm -hmm. all different personalities. Um, so one of the things that uh, that someone who's that talkative or directive really wants is just the chance to be in charge. Right. right. And they want the stage. Find out what they want the stage about and say, look, this is fantastic. We love this energy that you have this is something you and we'd like to have a, a separate meeting or a separate conference where this is the main topic right you do that you're almost pulling the you're pulling the um the energy out of them for the speeches that they're giving at your meeting because oh i'm gonna have a chance i'm gonna have the stage right, right. And, and so if you if if that's it's it's again it's getting to the root of what's causing that shadow behavior. And if you can get to that route by by having a one-on-one a -on -one offline with them, and as Jim said, you know, it's going to be a little uncomfortable. But guess what? As Jim, I don't think you said it this time, when you, when you make Billy like you, you've mm -hmm. made all the other meeting attendees like you less. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're all about being liked, you actually have a net loss in likedness <laughs> when yeah. you're paying too much attention to, to Billy. And, and so, notice but, that, but that this, attention could be offline. Notice that for this past X amount of time, we don't say anything about game charts or anything. This is a soft skill as an artist. Rich and I aren't psychologists. So we're don't we're not trained in that. I I work with a woman who has uh clinical depression, and uh, but I coach her on a project management. The few times that she came to me and sort of tried to drag me in that area, said I'm unqualified to do that. 
you need to talk to whoever you talk to about that. I've never experienced it with her. She's great, but I'm unqualified to do that. So Rich and I, and anybody running me can only go so far. It is not my job to analyze Billy, to change him, to right. coach him or anything, just to recognize that behavior. But there really is a lot of, I think you would agree, Anne, that there's a lot of psychology involved in whether it's running meetings, running teams, people absolutely. are funny animals, you know? Yeah, and, 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 and although we aren't psychologists, we've drawn from books that have, uh, and, and researchers who have studied the psychology of meetings. Right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so th- there's one book in particular, the, 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 strange science of meetings, something like that by, um, can't remember the author now, Rogelberg, Rogelberg. I can't remember. Stephen Rogelberg, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've drawn a lot from, from their research. Um, so although we're not psychologists, as Jim said, there's psychology here. And right. it, it does yeah. require you to uh, to at least learn some of those basics. And, and it's a great example. There aren't, there aren't, except in maybe in our appendix. Uh, I think in our appendix, <laughs> there's a network diagram right here. See? Yes, there are some fancy <laughs> so, charts in there. I saw. So, but that's, yeah. a, that's more in the appendix to help people with terminology. <laughs> but this is a power skills book. PMI would call it a power skills book. And I think right. it's an amazing power to have to be able to facilitate meetings. And you should, we think you should build your skills in facilitating meetings because you will be called on to facilitate them like mm-hmm. it or not. Mm-hmm. Well, thank, thank you both for giving us a glimpse into the contents of your book. I mean, obviously yeah. we didn't want to give all of the secrets away on this podcast, but we did share a little bit of a glimpse as to what you can expect. And I am... So excited for our audience to pick this book up uh, and and get that practical uh, knowledge that you're both sharing as part of what we can do to be great project managers, but really project leaders, right? So thank you both for your time today and your insights. And as as things go, you know, time flies when you're having fun. So I could easily speak to you and we could do a five-hour podcast as Rich had originally requested us to do, but (laughs) as... (laughs) As for today, I think uh, that will do it for for all of us in this installment of the Everyday PM podcast. So let's start with you, Rich. Is there uh, anything that you want to promote right now outside of the book? If folks want to continue the conversation with you, where can they find you online? All of that good stuff. Uh, I'm going to keep it simple. There are things I'd like to promote, but I don't want to take away from the book here. Certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, Just you'll find me. I don't think there's that many rich there are a couple, but uh, I'm the only one that's uh, partnered with Jim on these books. Um, we do have a website called um, projectmeetings.us. Kind of the dot is meant to be read as R, Project Meetings R Us. <laughs> um, and um, so that, that has has resources and templates that go along with the book. Um, I'd like to thank Tim Klappenborg and Cam Judgev, uh, the publishers of uh, BEP, for taking us on and um, they seem to be happy with us so far um, and um, that's it I, I uh, sign up for classes at Boston University <laughs> and I have zero to promote so yeah thanks for having us um, it's pretty much it if you, I, I guess I would leave rather than a promotion one piece of advice is be largely in charge either you run the meeting or the meeting runs you that's great I yeah. love that Well, thank you so much, both of you, for your time today. I appreciate you you joining this meeting, our meeting on the Everyday PM podcast. Uh, Folks, pick up this book, Great Meetings, Build Great Teams. It's 
going to be a game changer for you, I do think, just because of everything that we've discussed in this podcast episode. So uh, that will do it for this installment of the Everyday PM Podcast. You can also continue the conversation with me. You can find me on LinkedIn and Campia. Uh, go to the YouTube channel to watch the visual, awesome visual version of this uh, podcast there. Uh, YouTube.com forward slash Ancampia. And if you want to find the Everyday PM, just search for it on any of your podcasting platforms. It's there. The Everyday PM is there for you. Um, and we look forward to hearing your feedback on this particular episode as well. So that will do it for both of us or all of us, all three of us. Yes. And uh, we hope to catch you on the next episode. And until next time, take care. Thank you.